Hey, welcome to the podcast, today's Voices of Conservation Science. This is episode two, and I'm Chris Guy. I'm your host for today's podcast. Uh, this podcast focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. <clears throat> and today I'm here with Shannon Hilty, and she's a graduate student at Montana State University. And uh, she's uh, working on bats, and bats are uh, one of my favorite animals. So, uh, Shannon, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Good, uh, glad you're here and uh, helping us out with uh, kind of getting the kinks out of these first few podcasts. So, um, can you just uh, start off a little bit by telling us uh, something about yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in Montana. Um, and I received my bachelor's degree from the University of Montana in Missoula. And while I was there, I worked on quite a few different mammal species with uh, Kerry Forsman. Um, and he kind of really influenced me to take the terrestrial route in wildlife biology. Um, and from there, I took a job at the Montana Natural Heritage Program. And I worked there for several years before deciding it was time to come back to graduate school. So here I am. I love to be outside. Uh, I love to camp. I love to backpack, um, getting back into climbing. And yeah, graduate school has been a big adjustment for me, <laughs> but it's good. It's so good. maybe not doing quite as much backpacking not and so climbing much, since, so you're, since no. you're in graduate school. So um, you worked for the Montana Natural Heritage Program in Helena, and now you're in graduate school. And I mean, that, that's a big commitment as we, we, most of us know, graduate school is a big commitment. And so just curious about what compelled you to pursue a career in conservation. And it's all kind of wrapped into this, uh, this graduate degree as well. Yeah. So I think a few different things. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Montana, which is a great place to be outside. Uh, and my parents really forced my sister and I to play outside, uh, whether we wanted to or not. Um, and so we spent a lot of time as a family camping, fishing, hiking, doing all those sorts of things. Um, and just being outside really piqued my interest in, you know, how, how does the natural world work? How do these things relate to one another? Um, I became very interested in wildlife and that developed into kind of this lifelong passion, um, for, I guess, wildlife conservation. Um, as I got older, I realized that Montana is kind of unique in that it's one of a handful of states that has these really large swaths of public land. So we have, you know, national forest land, BLM land, state land, all of these chunks of land set aside for conservation purposes, as well as uh, national parks set, up, set aside for preservation. Um, and I really realized that if the people that love these things in the state don't protect those things, nobody's going to. Um, and so that was really instrumental, realizing that. Yeah, that's... Me pursuing uh, this. I mean, that's I, I, one thing that we're, we're, we're... I think a lot of people have in common is, mm -hmm. is the outdoors and the passion for conserving those natural resources as a young, young adult. Um, I'm curious, were either one of your parents kind of in the science profession? Yeah, um, so both my my father was a geologist or he is a geologist sorry um <laughs> still here <laughs> they probably hear this is still here <laughs> um, be like what <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah as i think i was in preschool or kindergarten uh while he was still finishing his master's in geology and so he used to take me to the laboratory on the weekends and 
I got like this firsthand experience on some really cool science that, you know, at that time I had no idea what was going on, right. but it really introduced me to the scientific method. Um, and I, I've definitely always been that annoying girl that, you know, is like, why, why is that that way? Or why is she doing those things? Or, you know, just making observations and why, why, why? And so that experiencing science firsthand really made me feel like, oh yeah, this is definitely for me. Um, oh, that's great. So you ask great. all those why, why questions. Now you yeah. answer them. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you're probably pretty fun to travel around Montana then with, and you can tell everybody about all these geological formations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, that was one thing. Every family still now, every road trip, uh, he busts out the book and he, he just, <laughs> and sadly I just, I haven't retained haven't retained a lot of it, but oh, dad, I know. Dad's not going to be happy. <laughs> He's not going to be happy. <laughs> First you knocked him off and <laughs> you're not paying attention to him. <laughs> no, I love him. He's, he's super great. Um, but yeah, he still takes us on like rock hunts and things like that. So oh, that's, that's a lot awesome. of fun. Yeah. So bats. Yes, bats. As I, as I said at the intro. <laughs> I love that you love favorite. bats. It's yep. awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about your research. Uh, just kind of, I think, uh, uh, what are you working on and why is it important? Yeah, so I am really working to understand which habitat characteristics are important to both foraging and roosting bats in western Montana forests. Um, and so bats have really complex life histories, and at the risk of going into too much detail, and you can stop me if I do, um, <laughs> I guess a year in the life of a North American bat is divided into two different periods. So you have the winter season and the active season. And during the winter season, they're hibernating. They're not active. Um, but during so, the... So hibernating kind of like bears. Uh, sort of. Yep. It's a little bit different. But yes, okay. um, they're, you know, not not waking up regularly to feed. Um, they're sleeping, essentially. Okay. Uh, but the active season, which is roughly April through September, uh, poses, I guess, a lot of challenges for bats because they have to have these different, I guess habitat requirements. Um, so they need really good drinking areas, foraging areas, roosting areas, um, and roosting areas can be divided into two different types of roosts. So they have night roosts where they basically go and digest for a few hours during the night. Hmm. Um, and then they have what we call day roosts. And during the day, they'll go into these day roosts and that's where they evade predators um, you know, if they're females with pups, that's where they nurse their young, uh, males will roost separately in separate day roosts. Uh, and so, so these are all really important. So, I, you know, I'm just thinking about these, these, uh, v uh, videos that you see of all these bats flying out of the caves, uh, at night. And then they all come back in in the, uh, I guess in the morning. So you're saying the bats, some of the bats in Montana don't do that. They have these little specific locations that they're, they're using habitat in. Well, so I guess the, in, in any given night, they're going to wake up at sunset, um, and they'll exit the roost and feed. And then after feeding for a few hours, they'll go and digest somewhere. So okay. that's like a completely separate type of roost. Um, However, in Montana, we don't have these like huge hibernaculas where you see all of the bats leaving at once. Um, uh, okay. But it's the same sort of idea. So those day roosts basically are, you know, they're performing the same function. Um, but they're very different than these night roosts where they're just kind of laying down for a few hours to digest. Mm -hmm. uh, but day roosts are really important to a bat's, you know, natural history so um, or life history. So we 
want to understand these things. And in Montana, we really know very little about bats in general. Um, and we know even less about their roosting and foraging, I guess, habitat characteristics. And so one, we want to understand that. And two, we're interested in how do large scale forest disturbances affect, you know, these two habitat habitat types, I guess. Um, and in Montana, or I guess, I guess it would be the Northern Rocky mountains, uh, mountain pine beetle, you know, have caused really mm -hmm. widespread tree mortality. So mm -hmm. we're interested in how those specifically are, um, I guess, influencing bat foraging and roosting. So thinking about these bats and you're tagging them, you're putting transmitters on them, right? Right. And yep. they're really small transmitters that, what do they wear them like a backpack? I've seen like photos of you know, small mammals kind of wearing uh, backpack-type transmitters. Is that what you do? Well, so after we catch the bat, um, we trim a little bit of hair between the shoulder blades, so mm -hmm. back on the neck between the wings. And then we put these tiny little transmitters just using skin glue right in the middle of the shoulder blades. Mm -hmm. um, and they fall off after, like, 12 to 15 days. <laughs> uh, so it's not like a permanent backpack, but right. they are very small. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. I think... The smaller ones weigh 0.22 grams. So very small, very hard to detect, very hard to track bats, especially <laughs> when they're going into rocks. So. so you only have, what, 12 days to collect data on a bat? So <laughs> on you a single get bat, going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, it's it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, we put we Sounds put 80 intense. hours into one bat. And wow. It, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, well, but it's fun. Yeah, and it's very interesting work and, and very neat. One of the things that I've I've read about is white nose syndrome, mm -hmm. um, and as much as I love bats, um, that I've said now this is I think the third or fourth time I've said that <laughs> is that uh, it. <laughs> um, it it concerns me this white nose syndrome. Do we have white nose syndrome in Montana? Uh, we do not as of right now, or I guess I should say we have not detected it. Okay. Um, it is very concerning, especially, you know, white nose syndrome coupled with uh, wind energy development. We're seeing, you know, unprecedented mortalities in bats um, out east. Uh, I mean, I think between the years 2006, 2012, over 6.7 million bats died off just on the east coast. Oh, and, wow. and from white nose syndrome white -nose alone. Syndrome, yeah. Right. Um and so that has moved, I guess, westward, and they've detected it in, I think, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Washington, and Texas, but that's as far, I guess, west of the Mississippi. Um, and so we, we think it will hit Montana, but we also think our bats might, since they're behaviorally different uh, than bats out east, um, it might impact them differently hmm. than out east. Uh, hmm. Yeah, so like... For instance, little brown bats out east roost in these huge colonies. Mm -hmm. So if you have one bat that has uh, the fungus, it's probably going to spread. Whereas our bats pretty much roost like one or two in a crack, mm -hmm. um, and they're spread out across the landscape. So it might not have the same impact, but I think it will still be very bad. Yeah, well, let's hope it doesn't yeah. make it here. So, you know, thinking about research and being a scientist, you know, we want to want to discover really important, meaningful things. What would be the best thing you could discover in your research that you're doing as a graduate student? In this research specifically, mm -hmm. the best thing. Well, I mean, I think at this point we know so little about these species that 
everything that I'm discovering is pretty awesome um, and That's going awesome. to be really helpful yeah. for conservation. Uh, but I do think it's more it's important to you know really learn about where these these animals are roosting um especially since that's you know where white nose syndrome is going mm-hmm. to impact them as much um but yeah it's all it's all very valuable information and so thinking <laughs> about the importance of your research by anything we discover on bats is going to help in terms of conservation of bats and right. and you know the uh, understanding the potential of something like white nose uh syndrome right yeah. right excellent so um, one question that I like to ask um, is um, kind of really way out there. Oh, great. I like to know <laughs> what your uh, favorite animal plant oh, or yes. both is. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. And I have so many answers for this question. Yeah, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to one of each. Make me pick one. One of each. One of each yeah. animal plant. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with a Montana mammal okay. and it's going to be a bat because I do love bats. Nice. Um, I should have <laughs> guessed. <laughs> yep. Uh, definitely the spotted bat. And I've never actually seen a spotted bat in hand, um, but we do have them in Montana. They roost really high in these limestone cliffs. So catching them in a net is not likely, hmm. um, but they're, they're a bat species that's actually audible to the human ear. So if you're sitting wow. in a campfire and you feel like you've been electrocuted, mm-hmm. it's probably a spotted bat. They're very, very cool animals. Wow, that sounds cool. Um, yeah, plants. Can I would have to say bear grass. Nice. Uh, I really enjoy yeah. a good bear grass bloom. Um, we had some blooming this year in the areas we were at. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it reminds me of the pica, the pica work that I did, but really enjoy that. Um, and then what was the last one? Um, mineral. No, <laughs> I said animal plant <laughs> no. or both, but okay. <laughs> that was it. I won't make you do a mineral. <laughs> well, um, I want to thank you for, uh, sharing your, um, passion for conservation with us and your research on bats. And, um, I want to, um, wish you the best of luck in your graduate degree. And, um, again, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me.